All right, so here is our uh, last of three parts, the government of the kingdom. And this is perhaps one of the most interesting um, aspects of it because it's what we have the most revelation about. Uh, much of the Old and New Testament where they discuss the kingdom, uh, they are discussing uh, the governmental system because it is going to be a dispensation of government where Jesus Christ will finally rule over this earth perfectly in submission to the will of God the Father, just as Adam was expected to do in the kingdom. This is the purpose uh, that God created the earth for a man to rule over it on his behalf. So the government of this kingdom is very important. There's going to be three aspects of the government that we look at, or we might say the three branches of government. We have the rule of the Messiah. Uh, we have the uh, role of Gentiles in the kingdom and the role of the Jews uh, in the kingdom. Uh, we can actually look at these three governmental divisions as uh, we have the three branches of government. Um, it's not the same in structure, but the same in principle, where we have three branches of our government. That said, where uh, something like Congress outranks the president in America, uh, the sovereign king, Jesus the Messiah, will be outranked by nothing and no one. However, there will be a Jewish um, branch to his government, and there will be a Gentile branch to his government. First of all, though, we want to look at who the ruler is, uh, that is Jesus the Messiah, and he is king over all creation. Psalm 2.6 uh, says that, but as for me, I have installed my king. This is God speaking to the kings of the earth um, at the end of the tribulation period. As for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Zechariah 14.9 gives us a similar depiction of Christ's rule. And in fact, the entire chapter of Zechariah 14 is a description of the uh, of the messianic kingdom um, it would take too long for us to go through and read but i encourage everyone go and read zechariah 14 it's actually a, an incredibly clear and vivid picture of the messianic kingdom and it gives a specific uh, prehistory of one event that's going to take place during the kingdom uh, and how jesus christ is going to rule over that decision um, so fascinating go and read zechariah 14 Oops, I've got to read it. Uh, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one and his name, the only one. Daniel 7, 14, and Daniel sees a vision of Christ receiving the kingdom. Uh, and that uh, vision went like this. To him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. It is the last world kingdom. The throne of David was established in Israel in order to be the location of global rule. Isaiah 9.6 uh, 
looks forward to that global ruler who would sit on the throne of David. Uh, it says, for a child will be born to us. Uh, this is speaking by a Jewish prophet to the people of Israel, born to us, to Israel. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So we have here names of deity attributed to a human man born in the line of Israel, specifically from the line of David, as we'll see. Uh, it would be incredibly blasphemous to call a man who is not also God, mighty God, or eternal father. But this indeed is the name of Christ because he is fully God and undiminished humanity. Isaiah 9, 7 says, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So when the angel came to Mary and told her that she would be the mother of that child, uh, this angel specifically made reference to the throne of David because that was the reason the Messiah was being born, was to occupy that throne. Luke one thirty says, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, which in Hebrew, or again, the Hebrew was Yeshua, uh, which is a derivative from the Hebrew word for salvation. You will name him salvation. Luke one thirty one, he will be great and will be called, or 132 to 33 rather, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. In other words, this one who will be born to Mary is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Psalm 24, uh, starting in verse 7, uh, this is David, the psalmist, looking forward to when Jesus the Messiah, his coming descendant, would take his throne. Uh, Psalm 24, 7 says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory uh, may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. So we don't have much time to go through all of the passages, because as I said, a vast majority of the Old Testament prophets um, discussed in some detail the Messianic kingdom. Uh, but here are some additional verses, uh, which are particularly poignant uh, in describing the kingdom and its uh, government, its features, its functions. Uh, what life will be like, what the temple will be like, the topography of the kingdom, all of that. Um, Isaiah 19, specifically verses 23 to 25. The whole chapter of Isaiah 35. Uh, Jeremiah 23, and specifically verses 5 to 6. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 33, 14 through 17. 
the eight chapters, Ezekiel, actually nine chapters, Ezekiel 40 to 48. Uh, this will describe the uh, temple and the government uh, during the millennial period. Daniel 2, 44 to 45 briefly uh, details that this is the last world kingdom and that is the greatest kingdom. Uh, Daniel 7, 23 to 27, actually all of chapter 7, is about getting to that point in history where the kingdom will begin and through its progress. Uh, Amos 9, specifically verses 11 to 15, and as I mentioned already, uh, Zechariah 14 gives us a, uh, a detailed uh, snapshot of a day in the life of the kingdom. All right, so what is going to be the character of the rule of the Messiah then? Revelation 12.5 um, alludes back to some Old Testament um, descriptions of his rule. It says that um, she, that's Israel, gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Revelation 19.15 as well alludes to that. For his mouth, uh, from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he, uh, and he treads the winepress of fierce wrath of God the Almighty. That winepress of the fierce wrath of God Almighty was his rule, uh, or his uh, conquering of the nations at the end of the tribulation period. That rod of iron that he will rule with during the kingdom is already present in his hand when he comes down to take the nations um, under his dominion. Um, and that rod of iron will be necessary still during the kingdom because there will be mortals in the kingdom who are capable of sin because they retain a sin nature. And so he will need to rule uh, with justice and when unrighteousness uh, raises its head in his kingdom, he will need to take care of it immediately. He is going to rule with justice. Uh, Psalm 72 is, uh, the whole thing is a description of the kingdom. Uh, Psalm 72, 1 through 4, give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your afflict afflicted with justice. Uh, so here, um, it may not be as clear here as it, um, as it will be as we go through, but this is speaking of the co-rule of David, the resurrected David, and Jesus, the Messiah, uh, in Israel during the kingdom. We'll look at that in a bit. Uh, let the mountains bring peace to the people and the hills in righteousness. May he vindicate the afflicted of the people, save the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. Let them fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he come down like rain upon the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the, right, uh, may the righteous flourish and abundance of peace till the moon is no more. Now that uh, reference to the moon being no more uh, is an allusion back to uh, Jeremiah 31, right after the promise of the new covenant, where it says, as long as the sun and the moon endure in their courses, um, God's promise to Israel is sure. So as long as God's promise to Israel is sure, as long as creation remains, uh, abundance and peace is going to continue throughout the kingdom. His rule in the kingdom is going to be universal over all of the earth. Psalm 72, 8 through 11, 
Uh, may he also rule from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. Let the nomads of the desert bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. Let the kings of Tarshish and the islands bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts and let all kings bow down before him. All nations serve him. His rule will be one of righteousness. Verses 12 to 15, for he will deliver the needy when he cries for help, the afflicted also, and him who has no helper. He will have compassion on the poor and needy, and the lives of the needy he will save. He will rescue their life from oppression and violence, and their blood will be precious in his sight. So may he live, and may the gold of Sheba be given to him. And let them pray for him continually. Let them bless him all day long. Uh, so this is a psalm of David. And actually, this is the last psalm of David in uh, the second book of Psalms. Uh, and this is him looking forward to a future king, uh, not, not his present kingdom. He is looking forward to a future king who is going to reign in perfect righteousness, uh, bringing justice and peace to the world uh, as well bringing blessing. Uh, we saw that the oppressed would be lifted up by the Messiah here. Uh, Matthew 5 is also a, a nice place to go to uh, see that. That's the Beatitudes, where we see those who are uh, downtrodden by oppressors uh, will be lifted up in the kingdom. Psalm 72, 16, though, says, May there be abundance of grain in the earth on top of the mountains. Its fruit will wave like the cedars of Lebanon, and may those from the city flourish like vegetation of the earth. May his name endure forever. May his name increase as long as the sun shines, and let men bless themselves by him. Let all nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone works wonders, and blessed be his glorious name forever. And may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. That was the end of his prayer book there. All right, so that is the uh, rule of the Messiah in the kingdom. Uh, I gave you a couple other places in scripture where you can go to read more about it. Uh, because there's just too copious an amount of passages to go through in one lesson here. Um, so I encourage you, just go read the Old Testament. And when you read the Psalms, as you're going through the Psalms, think, does this apply to, uh, to the millennial kingdom? Sometimes it does. Sometimes it might appear that it does and it doesn't. But um, when we are going through the Psalms, too often we try to apply it directly to our lives today before we try to see what it applied to originally. Uh, we want to interpret them and understand them before we apply them. Uh, so we wanna see what they were intended to represent in their first, uh, or to their first audience. Uh, many, many, many of the Psalms deal with either the coming tribulation period, the transition from tribulation to the righteous rule of Christ, simply the righteous rule of Christ or, uh, sometime during the messianic kingdom because that's what david is looking forward to that is the goal and hope of his life is to see the kingdom but now we turn to the role of the gentiles in the government of messiah's kingdom 
And we want to look first at the role of the church in his kingdom, because we do have a special role carved out for us. And where many of uh, New Testament passages refer to um, some sort of co-rulership or training for reigning together with uh, Christ in the kingdom. Uh, this is indeed what we are doing here on earth. And this is why we have the opportunity to serve him now, uh, because the way that we serve him now will determine uh, what kind of authority we have in the kingdom. Do we prove in our um, yielded lives to him here on earth uh, that we are capable of handling such responsibility? Um, so there are many places in the New Testament we can go to, again, in order to uh, narrow it down so it's it's an amount of verses that we can easily handle. I've limited it just to the Revelation to the churches um, in the book of Revelation, chapters two, uh, two and three. Uh, because most of these have promises looking forward to the coming millennial rule. Remember, this entire book of Revelation was given to the church as encouragement to them. It, uh, it organizes uh, prophecy that was given in the Old Testament. That's why so much of uh, chapters, uh, specifically 9 through 19, but 4 through 19, really, uh, draw out prophecies from the Old Testament to put it into um, a chronological order that we could not have uh, understood from Old Testament. But this speaks of a period of time that we're not going to be present for in order to explain what we are going to miss because we have received the righteousness of Christ and the wrath of God no longer is on us. So chapters 6 through 9 have nothing to do with the church, but the church will be present with the Lord in heaven, preparing once more for their rule uh, together with him in the kingdom. And so before he transitions into uh, that period of time when the church will be absent from the earth, he makes these promises to the church about their coming role in the kingdom, or their coming role in the kingdom, um, including in, included in that is their rule in the kingdom. Uh, Revelation 2.11 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Um, the second death is something we haven't uh, gotten to yet in our passages in Revelation. We'll see it in verses uh, 11 through 15 of uh, Revelation chapter 20. But the second death is the resurrection unto eternal death. Uh, whereas uh, because we have overcome in the Messiah by faith, uh, we will not be hurt by the second death. We will be part of the first resurrection. And uh, that is the resurrection unto life. Now, he who overcomes is important to understand, and it's uh, what John means by that. Uh, remember, John has written uh, the book of Revelation about five years after he sent this letter of 1 John uh, to the same churches that he uh, was uh, that he wrote to in the book of Revelation, specifically though to the church of Ephesus. First uh, John four or First John five verses four through five explains what an overcomer is. Uh, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So this isn't being a super. Christian, a uh, Christian whose life is marked by obedience and not by disobedience. Uh, an overcomer, in John's definition of the word, is one who has placed his faith in Christ. So every promise made to an overcomer in the first two chapter, the chapter two and chapter three of Revelation, is a promise to all believers. We're going to see that some uh, some rewards 
are beyond just faith, but also include obedience in them. But this one is not. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. He who overcomes is the one who has overcome by faith in Christ. Uh, who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Revelation 3, 5 says, He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, an allusion perhaps to uh, Isaiah 61, uh, 10, where uh, it is Christ's righteousness that clothes us. And I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. His salvation is secured. Revelation 2, 7 he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God, that restored Edenic state. He is going to, uh, to eat of the tree of life in it. Um, remember back to uh, Genesis 3, around verses uh, 23, 24, where Adam and Eve are barred from eating the tree of life because they have fallen. This is looking forward to um, the glorification of the saints. Now, here is one that goes beyond just simple faith and also uh, requires obedience in order to participate in. Revelation 3.11 uh, begins with something that requires obedience. It says, hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. Crowns are rewards or awards that are uh, earned by the believer by living a yielded life to Christ, by being willing to uh, serve him and uh, serving him when asked to do so, uh, the Holy Spirit will empower that and the Holy Spirit will teach one that. Uh, and it requires, uh, it requires being in fellowship with the Lord. And so the one who holds fast, the one who does not abandon that faith that he had, uh, he is the one who can... Uh, uh, take a hold of these crowns and not lose these crowns. Uh, Paul, when he's talking to uh, Timothy about uh, about his uh, his walk with the Lord as he's looking forward towards uh, his imminent death, uh, he says he's run the race, he's kept the fight, um, and uh, he's looking forward to his crowns that are waiting in heaven. These crowns. Um, are earned through our Christian service, our obedience to God uh, as we abide in him. Uh, so this is something that is more than just faith. This is actually being a disciple. Uh, this is being obedient to him. One will earn crowns. However, he continues, Revelation 3.12, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. This is true of all believers. And he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Revelation 3.21, again, he who overcomes, that is believer, all believers, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame to sat, sit and sat down with my father on his throne. So guess what? All believers will have some role in ruling in the kingdom. Because we have been saved by him, because we will be conformed to his image, we will sit down on his throne of rulership over the world in some capacity. However, when we look at that a little closer, 
um, the rank of authority will be dependent upon our obedience and our um, service to him here on earth um, while we are here. Revelation 2.25 begins, nevertheless, what you have, hold fast, again, endure, persevere, until I come. Now, two things. He who overcomes, that's the believer, and additionally, he who keeps my deeds until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. So we see some sort of stratification uh, within the rulership in the kingdom that not all authority will be equal. Uh, believers who have been obedient um, in resting in him and in allowing the spirit to work through them to do the deeds of God, uh, these will be given greater authority because they were more trustworthy with the things of God in this earth. Uh, and so uh, we want to look at one verse here that's outside of the book of Revelation and outside of Johannine uh, literature as well. 2 Timothy 2.11, uh, this is Paul kind of looking forward to that uh, that future glorification with Christ. And he says, if we died with him, we will also live with him. And Paul has just recently, in the past uh, decade, described in the book of Romans uh, that all Christians, because of their faith, have died with him. We are all identified in his death, burial, and resurrection because of our faith. So if we died with him, and this if is a third uh, class con or a first class condition, which means we did, uh, this is a, assumed to be a fact because we are believers. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. Our life is secure. We will live with him. If we endure, uh, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And this uh, following the progression here is likely speaking of rewards. If we deny him service, we'll be denied rewards. Those rewards that we could have uh, received through faithful obedience to him uh, will be denied us, just like Hebrews 4 explains or uh, describes how Israel was denied their enjoyment of the land, which they owned, which belonged to them because they refused to walk into it. Uh, and then uh, finally, the... Uh, the concessive principle here, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So at a certain point, it doesn't matter how we walk, um, because there are certain things that we cannot lose because of his faithfulness, and that is our entrance into life, our reign on some level together with him. Um, but we want to uh, serve him so that we might receive those rewards and not needlessly uh, miss out on those rewards that um, just simply are earned by resting in him and not in ourselves and not in our flesh. Uh, but the point of this section is that the church will rule and reign together with Christ based on our faithfulness to him here on earth, depending on our faithfulness uh, in the Christian walk, in our spiritual lives together with the uh, Holy Spirit and fellowship with him. Depending on that, will be granted a stratified rule in the kingdom. Uh, the church is not going to rule alone with Christ. The tribulation saints are also made a part of that. The tribulation saints are not part of the church. Uh, they are not uh, brought into the fold of the church, but we will rule 
uh, side by side with them in the kingdom. Revelation 24 teaches us as much. Uh, again, we haven't gotten to Revelation 20 verse 4 uh, in our Revelation study. That's what we're coming back to next. Uh, but uh, here this uh, pronoun is used without a clear uh, antecedent. Uh, but it says, then I saw thrones and they sat on them. The they is probably pointing back uh, to those who had come with Christ in the clouds, uh, all of his holy saints, which was the church. Then I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them. So that's likely here. Can't be dogmatic, but this appears to be speaking of the church glorified with Christ coming back to the earth. Uh, after the tribulation, to rule and reign together with him, judgment was given to them. And so additionally, on top of that judgment given to the church, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. These are the tribulation martyrs, those who did not survive the tribulation period, and so are not entering into the kingdom in mortal bodies, but are being resurrected into the kingdom in glorified bodies. Because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and they came to life, they were resurrected, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So this reign is going to be adjacent to the reign of the church. Uh, it is not going to be part of the Jewish branch of the government, but part of the Gentile branch of the government. So now we move on to the role of the Jews, or the role of Israel, in the government of the kingdom, and we start with King David. Because as I mentioned before, King David will be resurrected to reign physically over the nation of Israel during the millennial kingdom. Christ will be reigning over uh, Israel together with, uh, together with uh, David, but Christ's rule is going to extend to all the earth and um, all of the created universe um, at the same time, whereas David's job is going to be to rule over Israel just as mortal kings will rule over the nations of the Gentiles. Hosea uh, chapter 3, verse 4 says, For the sons of Israel will remain for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without ephod or household idols. So this uh, speaks of uh, the period or the uh, time of the Gentiles when they are going to be trampled down and not even have a place to uh, offer their uh, sacrifices under the Mosaic law system. Uh, we see this even today in uh, in uh, Passover celebrations where they have replaced the lamb that should be sacrificed in the temple. They replace with a hard-boiled egg uh, to speak of the sorrow that they have for not having a house, for not having a temple. Uh, but afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. Uh, so this was about three or four hundred years after David had died, and Hosea and Israel, they are looking forward to the future reign of their king, David, and also their God. Uh, so David and ruling together with the Messiah. Jeremiah 30, verse 8, it shall come about on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off their neck and will tear off their bonds, and strangers will no longer make them their slaves. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. This is the literal, physical, future 
resurrection of King David to rule over Israel from his throne in Jerusalem. Ezekiel 34, 23, Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So a couple things to bring out here. The one shepherd over them is not speaking of David alone without the Messiah, Jesus, but rather this is speaking of the reunification of Israel so that they won't have two kings, one from the line of David and um, one from, I can't remember the line of the, but there wasn't a line of the uh, northern kingdom. The northern kingdom was chosen by uh, prophets. Uh, so there's not going to be two kingdoms of Israel. There is going to be one unified kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom and the kingdom of Judah are going to be one once more. And so one shepherd, David, will rule over both. Uh, as well as we move down, it says, I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. So this is showing us David's role in conjunction with God the Messiah. David is going to be a prince. So whereas he is the shepherd, he is the king, he is still subservient to one. He is not the um, total sovereign because he is subject to Jesus, the Messiah, who is the total so sovereign, the king. So David will be prince among them, I the Lord have spoken. So that leads us then to the unified nation of Israel. And it's, um, it's important that the nation of Israel is going to be a nation in the kingdom. Um, Though uh, it will be an elevated nation, it will be a glorified nation, it will be a nation nonetheless. Ezekiel 37, 24 says, My servant David will be king over them, and they will have one shepherd, and they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them. They will live on the land that I gave to Jacob, my servant, in which your fathers lived, and they will live on it, they and their sons and their sons' sons forever, and David, my servant, will be their prince forever. Now notice, every single aspect of the Abrahamic covenant is present in this passage. This passage, Ezekiel 37, leads into 38-39, which is the uh, Gog-Magog war, and then Ezekiel 40-48 to is a description of the millennial kingdom. We have the servant David reigning over uh, the descendants of Israel, resurrected into the land, uh, and glorified under the new covenant. The 12 apostles will also have a special role in the government of the kingdom. Matthew 19, 28 uh, teaches us as much. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So there will be one king over Israel, King David, and there will be 12 princes under David, and those will be the, uh, the uh, 12 disciples of Jesus. Uh, Judas will not be part of that. Uh, he was not redeemed, and he died and was replaced by Matthias. Matthias was replaced him for the purpose of being an apostle during the apostolic era, but also for the purpose of filling that 12th throne um, over the tribes of Israel. We're not told which one will rule over which tribe, um, but we know there are 12 apostles and 12 tribes over which to rule.
Luke 22, 28, uh, Jesus at another time uh, taught them the same thing. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. There's also lower stratification um, beneath uh, these 12 apostles. Uh, there are princes, there are judges, and there are counselors. Ezekiel 45, 7 uh, says the prince, this is probably speaking of David, the singular prince, shall have land on either side of the holy allotment and the property of the city adjacent to the holy allotment and the property of the city on the west side uh, toward the west and on the east side toward the east and in length comparable to one of the portions from west border to the east border. Um, so Ezekiel 40 to 48 is very detailed in its geography, topography, and uh, description of the millennial temple. Uh, but here it says, this shall be his land for a possession, King David, in Israel. So my princes shall no longer oppress my people. Uh, princes here now is plural, uh, speaking of some lower princes beneath uh, David. Now, these princes may refer to the 12 apostles in Ezekiel. It had not been yet revealed uh, that there would be 12 apostles serving as uh, princes. Uh, but uh, it may not refer to them directly. Uh, we'll look at that in a second. Um, shall no longer oppress my people, but they shall give the rest of the land to the house of Israel according to their tribes. Um, why this may not refer directly to the uh, disciples, but those ruling under the disciples is because uh, King Zerubbabel is also going to be one of those princes. Personally, I think all of the, uh, all of the redeemed uh, kings of Israel will, will serve as these princes under the 12 disciples. Uh, but I, I don't have much um, to go on besides the fact that one of these kings uh, will has been called a prince in the future coming kingdom. Uh, but Haggai 2.21 says, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations. And I will overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses and their riders will go down, everyone by the sword of another. So that's speaking of the coming uh, tribulation period and the uh, return of Christ and his conquering of the nations. But Haggai 2.23 says, On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Uh, and the signet ring of the uh, king would refer here to his rulership and the proximity of Zerubbabel to Jesus the Messiah king. Uh, so he will be uh, close in his uh, stratification to rulership with the Messiah. So probably Messiah, King David, 12 disciples, uh, at least Zerubbabel, but probably uh, the redeemed kings of Israel. Isaiah 126 says, then I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. After that, you will be called the city of righteousness, a faithful city. So probably all those who have served in Israel under these functions 
previously will be restored to their functions in the kingdom. Zion will be redeemed with justice and her repentant ones will be righteous. Those who have received the righteousness of Christ will be uh, placed in authority in the kingdom. Um, now, uh, the last aspect we want to look at in the role of the Jews in the millennial kingdom is their relationship to the Gentile nations in the kingdom, because they will be over all of the Gentile nations. This is the unique privilege of Israel, uh, that they will be a glorified nation serving over um, all of the nations. And De Deuteronomy 15.6, going all the way back to Moses, uh, promises this to the nation of Israel as they begin to take their inheritance in the land. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised you, and you will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow, and you will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. At the end of this book, Moses um, declares this once more. He says, now it shall be if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all that his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. This was a promise that was given to them for obedience over the Mosaic covenant. And when in the new covenant, they are uh, regenerated, glorified, and set uh, above in perfect obedience and righteousness, uh, this indeed will come true. Isaiah 14 says, when the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and again choose Israel and set them in their own land, then strangers will join them and attach themselves to the house of Jacob. The peoples will take them along and bring them to their place, and the house of Israel will possess them as an inheritance in the land of the Lord, as male servants and female servants, and they will take their captors captive and will rule over their oppressors. Now, this is language um, in Isaiah drawn specifically uh, out while Israel's going into captivity. Um, this does not mean that the Gentile, the Gentiles who are present in the nation themselves held Israel captive, but these nations which once held Israel captive in all the world, uh, these are going to be under the authority of Israel. So the roles will be switched in the kingdom. Whereas the Gentiles have trampled over Israel in the time of the Gentiles, Israel will rule over the Gentile nations in the time of the king. Isaiah 49, 22, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and set my standard to the peoples, and they will bring your sons in their bosom, and your daughters will be carried on their shoulders. Kings will be your guardians and their princes your nurses. They will bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick the dust uh, of your feet, and you will know that I am the Lord, those who hopefully wait for me, will not be put to shame. So that is a very brief overlook at the description of the coming millennial kingdom. That is what uh, is happening in Revelation chapter 20 uh, between verses 6 and 7. That's the kingdom that's, that happens that John has no need to reiterate because so much of the Old Testament describes and defines that kingdom. So it's uh, glanced over um, by John, but it is very much a present and coming reality.